we're going to look at the, uh, the next section in John chapter 4, and it has a happy ending story. How many of you like happy endings? Okay, this is good. Today you're going to enjoy it. We get a request made of Jesus, and the answer is one of those storybook happily ever after times. And then, just because I am who I am, we're going to ask a hard question. Uh, well, what about those times where we ask Jesus for a happy storybook ending and our request is denied? Okay, that's great when it's a happy ending, but what, what do you do when the answer's no? What if the suffering and the pain and the tears that we're asking Jesus to take away, what if they actually only get worse? Would you please locate on your phone or in your Bible, Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 43. We're going to read down through verse 54. Uh, this father has a desperate request. Uh, a father who's desperate and he has an urgent request for Jesus. That's what we're going to read about even right now. If you're able, would you stand with me? John 4, verse 43, down through this, verse 54. Let's declare and read out loud God's inspired word. Here we go. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself appointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray specifically right now for those who are here who are uh, in your waiting room, waiting on you for an answer to a hard and difficult situation they're facing. And Lord, I suspect there's many in that waiting room today. Lord, would you teach us to trust you? Would you renew our strength today as we corporately worship you by studying your book? Lord, we recognize you indeed are the great physician. You are, as Brant reminded us, the one who holds everything together, our creator and sustainer. So we look to you as uh, our king and master and Lord. 
May your word and your Holy Spirit be welcomed today by each person here today in your church. Would you come take charge today? Lord, take charge of these goofy lips of mine, would you? And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, After two days teaching in Samaria, verse 43, Jesus left Samaria for Galilee. Uh, it says uh, that a prophet has no honor. It's not a good thing for a prophet to be in his hometown. If you go to Matthew 13, verses 55 to 57, we get the expanded version. Why is a prophet not getting much honor in his hometown. It says there, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man, Jesus, get all these things? And they're talking about all these wild and crazy ideas, and they took offense at him. They didn't like this uh, local boy telling them what to do. They didn't like this, this kid that they watched grow up, and, and they knew his mom, and they knew his brothers, and they knew his sisters. Who, who does he think he is coming in here acting all smart and sassy? Verse 45, but now, this time, they welcome Jesus back home and he's done some miraculous stuff in Jerusalem. And this time, they, uh, they're pleased to see him. And they kind of are excited to welcome Jesus back to the area. Uh, verse 46 and 47, Jesus returns to Cana. That's a city located near Nazareth. That's the hometown of Jesus. Uh, Cana is just down the road. Uh, and Cana was about 20 miles from Capernaum, which was on the Sea of Galilee. Cana was the city, we're told, where Jesus performed his first miracle. If you go back to John 2, verses 1 to 12, Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. His mother Mary asked him to help meet the need, and Jesus does just that. So in Cana, verse 46, uh, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Okay, let's uh, set, set the, the setting a bit. Uh, Capernaum's about 20 miles to the southeast of Cana, about 20 miles away. This anguished and desperate dad, driven by the thought of his son being near death, look at verse 47, begs Jesus Please come with me, come and heal my son. Come and heal my son. When, when he heard that Jesus had arrived, he begged him, Please, Jesus, my son is close to death. And it seems at first that Jesus' answer is not very kind. or seems kind of harsh. Verse 48, here's what Jesus says. Unless you people see signs and wonders... Jesus replied, your son will live. We know in the Greek he's talking plural here, so he's not talking specifically to the father. He's talking to the crowd. 
that was gathered and followed Jesus around. And what Jesus is saying is, you're just here to see the exciting supernatural stuff. You want to see the miracles. You want to see the signs and the wonders. That's why you're here. And he says that to the Father, but actually to the crowd. Now, this Father was likely a royal official. Track with me here. He likely was a member of Herod's house, and Herod ruled over Galilee. So he was likely a relative of Herod, and now he's here begging Jesus, come and heal my son. Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come, come down before my child dies. The father's desperate. He really is. And he doesn't really care about what the crowd's motivation for being there was all about. His sole focus was on his son. Jesus, please, come with me. I need you. Come to Capernaum before my son dies. In his mind, Jesus needed to come and physically touch his son for his son to live. Verse 50. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Literally, in the Greek, it says, your son is living. He lives, is what Jesus says. So go, it's a done deal. Now believe and see that what I'm telling you is true. And the father takes Jesus at his word, and he leaves, and he heads back to Capernaum. This is important. He stops his pleading. He stops his begging for Jesus to come. He accepts Jesus at his word and believed and left Cana. Now, if I was the father and I'm headed out, I'd be kicking myself right now, wouldn't you? I'd be thinking, why didn't I push harder? Why, why didn't I press him a little more? Why didn't I offer a bribe? Why, why didn't I do this or that? But here's the key. He left. Yeah, I, I think he still was doubting, but faith is not what you feel. Faith is acting and doing on what God's Word says. You understand? It's not acting on your feelings. Instead, faith is acting on God's Word. Verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. Your son is living. Those were the same words that Jesus said. Your son will live. Your son is living. And then... And then he says, well, what time did all this, when did my son get better? One in the afternoon, verse 53, the father realized that's not a coincidence. That is the exact time when Jesus said, your son lives, that the fever lifted. So when Jesus said, your son lives, his son lived. <laughs> the whole household of the royal official of Herod believed in Jesus as the great physician. Now track with me. Everybody in the house was prepared to mourn. Everybody in this household was prepared to wail and cry and just be horribly upset at the loss of the official's son. They loved this young man. But instead, but instead, 
It says that everyone in the household believed. Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Just like the Samaritans. Jesus really is the Messiah. Isn't that an encouraging story? I love it. That's a marvelous story. And, and, and it's good that we see that they all lived happily ever after in Capernaum. Your son will live. He was healed, and he lived, and, and he, was, he was healed from whatever ailment that this fever brought upon him. Now, I read this story last Sunday night. Maybe you don't know, but I kind of pick out where we're headed in July, and sometimes it's like a surprise. I, I look Sunday night, and I say, well, I wonder what's in store for next Sunday. So I read this story last Sunday night, and here's the first thing I thought. I love the happily ever after. I really do. But what about Bill and Jackie? True story. Names are changed. Their daughter was 10 years old, diagnosed with cancer, and the entire church prayed. Matter of fact, it wasn't just their church, but churches all over Michigan and all over the Midwest were praying for their daughter, Rachel. And they believed and they asked and they cried out, Lord, please bring healing to Rachel. True story. Rachel died. What happened? True story number two. Jack and Sheila's mother changed the names again. They had never known their father. He was in prison. And their mother kept getting sicker and sicker, and her organs began to fail. And again, the church and their family and their friends were believing and crying out, and they were desperate because uh, Jack and Sheila, uh, they only had their mother Barbara, and, and they were about to be without mother or father, so they're crying out. But Barbara, too, died leaving Jack and Sheila without a mom or a dad. True story. Number three, what about Bob's wife? She'd been sick for two years. Uh, they took Bob's wife, Betty, to doctor after doctor after doctor. One doctor said, it's a gluten allergy. Don't worry, just don't eat any more gluten. Another said, no, it's GERD and you have to just eat smaller meals and take some medicine, you'll be fine. A couple other doctors said, we, we don't really think there's anything wrong. We think it's all in her head. We think maybe she should go get some counseling for Betty. So she didn't get better. She kept getting worse. They kept searching till finally a doctor said, uh, it's all over your pancreas and your liver and Betty was dead in six weeks. Lots of searching, lots of praying, lots of desperation. True story. Um, I love the fact that Jesus heals. We see that here in John chapter 4. And I just want you to know, give me your eyes, I've seen it. I've seen anoint people cry out and the Lord respond. I've seen it again and again. Uh, but what about the people who ask and believe and are desperate? 
And the Lord says, no. And they stay sick. They get even sicker. And then some of them even die. That's what we're going to deal with for the rest of uh, the sermon today. There's this song that I want to introduce to you right now. And it's a song that asks a question that I think is pretty interesting. What if the trials of this life are God's mercy in disguise? I suspect some of you are familiar with this song. Uh, It's on my playlist. I play it almost every day because I want to remind myself of the message of this song. It gives a perspective on pain and trouble and suffering and death that nobody hardly ever talks about in this world we live in. So it's a good one. Um, It's a song written and sung by Laura Story. She wrote it newly married, and her husband now has brain cancer, and she wrote this song called Blessings. Go ahead and play it. protection while we sleep we pray for healing for prosperity we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering all the while you hear each spoken need yet love is way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near what if trials of this life your mercies in disguise we pray for wisdom your voice to hear and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near we doubt your goodness doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe cause what if your blessings come through What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what 
YouTube. Got the YouTube. Type in blessings. Laura's story. Uh, you can watch that. You can get that on your playlist. Pretty powerful stuff. I want to close by offering four biblical ideas that explain pain and suffering and death. Help us understand it. It's far from exhaustive. I tried to pick out four, but uh, I specifically picked out four from uh, a book that I've recommended before. It's called On Guard, William Lane Craig, Research Prof of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology. By the way, he's probably today the best defender of Christianity. He's one of those guys who goes and debates the atheists, the agnostics, the smart guys, and, and he, by God's grace, usually wins. He's... Uh, really uh, adept at that. Um, here we go. Number one, most people assume it's God's job to make us happy. Most people, if you think about it, well, isn't that God's desire is we'll be cozy and comfortable and happy, uh, us, us humans? Uh, but the reality is not that at all. You might want to write this down, okay? Because uh, if you ever struggle with why suffering, why pain, why difficult, or you know somebody nearby, uh, when biblically, here's the reality. The chief purpose in life is not happiness, but it's in knowing the God of the Bible, our Creator. To know Jesus, to glorify Him with our lives is the purpose of life. If, if the purpose of life was us to be happy and skippy and everything's wonderful, then this doesn't make sense. But if that's not the chief purpose of life, and according to God's word, it's not. Pain and suffering and trials, like that song just talked about, makes us needy and desperate and dependent upon God. It's amazing when things go south, our relationship with Jesus Usually, as followers, it grows, and we, and we draw close, and, and we grow stronger and deeper in our faith. Either that or the other option, which sometimes happens, is we get angry and bitter and shake our fist at God, and we refuse to worship you. How dare you allow this circumstance to happen in my life? 
So, so it's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to get real strong and grow close to Christ, or we're going to get angry and bitter. Can you give me some examples of that, Pastor Jeff? Where, where, oh, where have you seen trouble, trial, suffering actually do good stuff? Exhibit A, China. Follow along with me just for a minute. 20 million Chinese were slaughtered under Mao's cultural revolution. 20 million. And millions of them were people who dared have a faith. Now, the Chinese church was young and small when this occurred, and uh, it's, it's estimated there are only a few tens of thousands left. So many of them slaughtered just a few tens of thousands under intense, enduring persecution for decades. And people assumed once they got back in that there would be no Christianity left. People assumed, well, so much for those, uh, those followers of Jesus and that church, it's going to be dead when we finally get back in. But after China opened up and we were able to go back in, after decades of severe suffering and pain, and, and you can't believe what went on, today the Chinese conservative estimates are the Chinese church has between 75 and 100 million people in the Chinese church. How, how could that be? I'm just telling you, that is the environment for growth. You're either going to throw in the towel or you're going to draw real close. And then suddenly now everybody says, whatever you guys got, I want. 75 to 100 million worth conservative estimates. Exhibit B. Where do you see that? James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, all varieties, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What's that? It's a faith that doesn't quit, not easily stopped. It just hangs in there. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete not lacking anything. Look at the first word there, consider. That's a banking term, okay? And if you're uh, into banking, you know that when you receive something, you've got to put it in the proper column. So if you receive a payment, you put that in the credit side. If you receive a bill, you put that in the debit column. You tracking? What he's saying is here, when a trial shows up in the mail of your life, put it in the joy column. Put it in the right place. So, again, it's not a, it's not a matter of feeling, well, I don't feel like this is joyous. I don't feel like this is happy. That's not what it says. Look at it. Consider, put it in the right column. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why would I consider trouble and trials and suffering and pain to be joy? He says, because the Lord uses trials and pain and suffering to grow us up. Otherwise, we'd all be baby believers. It's pain and suffering and difficulty that grows us up, makes us mature in Christ, makes us complete in Jesus. 
Second key idea about suffering and pain in life is this. Ready? Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when suffering and pain and struggle hits your life or those around you that you love. Don't, don't, don't be shocked. Matter of fact, it should be an expectation. I know that's a part of living in a fallen and a broken world. Loss, pain, death. Expect it. Plan on it. And I'm not meaning that, that we be cynical about everything, but we assume that when I live in a fallen, broken, evil world, that these things, loss, pain, death, sickness, they're going to be a part of it. Plan on it. All human beings experience loss and pain and death. Are you ready? And you and I are not the exception to the rule. I, I wish we were. You know, I wish I had that magic faith and health bubble that they talk about. It's just a lie. We're not the exception to the rule. Where do you get that? John 15, 18, I'll give you a few. If the world hated Jesus, it will hate us too. Philippians 1, 29, we're called not just to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his name. So we don't just get to believe and that's it. Isn't that happy, Skippy? I got my ticket. No, no, we suffer for his name as well. Acts 14, 22 we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many hardships. Expect. Plan on times of hardship, pain, and suffering. Idea number three regarding pain and suffering. And I like this one. Jesus does not cold and aloof to our pain and our struggle. How, how do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Jesus is not cold and aloof because Jesus entered this world of sin and Satan and evil and suffering. And here's how N.T. Wright explains it. He says, Jesus entered this evil, sinful, suffering world and got his feet dirty and got his body bloody. That's how we know he's not cold and aloof to our suffering because he entered in and by facing and enduring evil and injustice Jesus shows us he's a God who can be trusted and followed why because he understands he entered in so that we would have a good shepherd to walk through struggle and pain and difficulty with us make sense so he entered this world and lived that sinless life took our place on the cross, shed his blood, took our place in the tomb, arose. Why? So we could know him and he could walk with us and we could even have eternal life on the worst, most painful days that we face. Fourth and final key idea about suffering and trials in life. God's purpose is not confined to this life. This is huge. This is not the end. Uh, it spills over beyond the grave into eternal life. Spills over into eternal life. The world that we live in is not our home. Don't get too comfy, right? This, this is not, we're just pilgrims. 
progressing through. We're just passing through. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed. How often? Day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is what? Temporary. It's just like it's going to be over, but what is unseen is eternal. It's the way Paul lived. He, he realized that the length of this life is short and it's just brief in comparison to eternity. He says the longer, think about this, the longer that we're with Jesus in eternity, the more our trials and struggles will get smaller and smaller and shrink in comparison. Can you just imagine? Now we've been with Jesus a thousand years and we're looking back to the trouble that we endured in our 60, 70, 80, 90 years and, and they're going to shrink and get smaller and smaller the longer we're with the Lord in glory. Therefore, every one of us who know Christ personally, Every one of us who've said yes to Jesus, we're new in Christ. No matter what we suffer, and I'm not minimizing it, no matter how bad the pain is, we can say this with confidence. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Want to say it with me? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Say it to your neighbor now. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Do you believe that? You've got to get that down deep, and you need to get it down deep before the suffering appears in the mail of your life. So then you can put it in the joy column. So then you can know, you know what? He knows what he's doing. You're good. You've never failed me yet. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, I want to pray specifically right now for my friends, and I know there are many here who are in the middle of a storm, in the middle of pain and trials, suffering and trouble seems to be growing. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you help them to remember what your book says about struggles and pain and storms and death. Lord, thank you that sometimes, just like that royal official experience, sometimes you do the miraculous and you bring healing and relief. So thank you for that. We trust you. And sometimes, Lord, that's your plan. But we also, Lord, recognize that sometimes you choose to use pain and evil and suffering that we face to grow us up and mature us and draw us close to you, to your son Jesus. Lord, would you help us not to be shocked and surprised when pain knocks at our door? <laughs> Lord, would you help us to realize, to uh, plan and expect that if your son suffered we too will suffer with him as well. 
we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for not being cold and aloof and uncaring about our suffering and pain. We know that, Lord, because you entered this evil and troubled world and you got your feet dirty and you got your body bloody on the cross. You understand what we go through. And you're our good shepherd that walks through us, even in the deepest valleys of this world. We praise you for that. And finally, Lord, would you help us to remember that we're just pilgrims passing through? Lord, help us to be reminded today that this world is not our home. We're just all waiting to get promoted, waiting to be face-to-face with you for all of eternity. The best is yet to come. Lord, thank you for your book. It teaches us things that we need to understand. Would you help us, Lord, to to get that downloaded on our minds? Would, Would you engrave it on our hearts? Lord, would you tattoo it on our lips so we're always saying these biblical truths? We love you. It's good to be your children. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.